A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Now, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And yes, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Gareth Wallace. For over 20 years, Gareth has worked at the interface between faith and politics at the Evangelical Alliance, Salvation Army, Conservative Christian Fellowship, World Vision and now Open Doors. We'll hear of his experiences working in that space and talk about the Open Doors World Watch List, which highlights countries where Christians are facing persecution because of their faith. But before that, last week, Keir Starmer accused the Tories of going to war against the National Trust. Well, this reignited an ongoing row about whether the Trust should be highlighting the links of some of its properties with slavery and colonialism. It raises questions about how we interpret our history and seeks to entrench divisions along culture war lines. The National Trust has long had a reputation for being comfortable and reassuring, giving us access to beautiful old stately homes, gorgeous gardens and cosy tea rooms. But as a nation, we've begun to reassess the impact of the British Empire and its spoils, and this is a sensitive and potentially divisive area. The Trust's leadership has been accused of going woke, and has been challenged from within by a group called the Restore Trust Group, who believe that, to quote its director, factual information has been replaced by trendy interpretations of history, and ideology has been imposed onto the task of heritage preservation. As Christians, we're told to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, Matthew 10, 16. So how should we respond to this debate? Well, firstly, we need to remember that history is not simply a series of facts set in stone. In the words of renowned historian E.H. Carr, history is an unending dialogue between the present and the past. And each generation re-evaluates its past according to the current values and priorities. It's always happened. Secondly, it's extremely uncomfortable for us to grasp that Britain's wealth was partially built on the exploitation and denigration of others. We are not responsible for the attitudes and actions of our ancestors, and clearly past generations did not view all people as created equally in the image of God, at least not in practice. But facing up to these painful issues should not mean that we ought to hate ourselves or feel ashamed to be British. On the contrary, it gives us the chance to show humility in our response. The British Museum announced last week that it will return a number of cultural treasures back to Ghana on long-term loan after they were looted by the British in the 19th century. This may pave the way for artefacts to return to other countries too. Many accept that UK museums contain items that were taken by force. But we also recognise that discussions with their countries of origin are very sensitive. But all these matters arouse strong emotions and support for these moves is likely to call down accusation of wokeness. While the Collins Dictionary defines woke as being to be very aware of social and political unfairness. It seeks to challenge ingrained and historical injustices and create a fairer society for those perceived as downtrodden. Now, such issues are often taken up by people on the left of the political spectrum, including many Christians seeking to pursue social and racial justice. 
However, many on the right feel this is a concerted plot to overturn a British way of life and that reinterpreting our colonial past is an attack on Christianity and its values and have thus taken a stance against wokeism. All of this is in inverted commas, by the way. But I would warn Christians against picking a side in this war. Both wokeism and anti-wokeism have taken on a pseudo-religious status. Each comes with a package of beliefs with which their followers must align or else be cast out, along with a promise to redeem society from the other side's wickedness. Christians should be committed to following the way of Christ. So we will not fit easily into any package of values that do not find their source in the Bible. And this will challenge us because we will find ourselves bestriding both sides. We should be concerned about racial justice and Christian values. Indeed, what is justice if not a Christian value? The gospel is disturbing and unsettling for both the woke and the anti-woke. It tells us we need a saviour because we cannot redeem ourselves. This is a huge stumbling block to those who believe we must throw off the shackles of authority and tradition and look within ourselves for salvation. But the gospel also tells of God's amazing grace and Jesus' call to love our neighbour as ourselves. This is unpalatable to those who fear that attempts to reassess our history and acknowledge past wrongdoing to others are threats to their very way of life. If Christianity is truly countercultural, it should challenge us. It should disturb us. Otherwise, we have simply made God in our own image instead of accepting that every human is made in his. As the election approaches and these disputes increase in volume, Let's try not to be drawn in. As Christians, we should support some issues on the so-called woke agenda and oppose some and approach others from a totally different angle. And let's remember that scripture calls us to be gentle and loving in our response to others so that our conversation is always full of grace, seasoned with salt, Colossians 4 verse 6. Let's pray that we will be effective witnesses this year. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, our guest today is the Director of Advocacy at the Religious Freedom Charity Open Doors, Gareth Wallace. Gareth, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, thanks for being with us and for all that you, you, you do with various organisations over the years. We might talk about that in a moment or two. But tell us first, as a Christian, how did you become to be a Christian? How did you first put your trust in Jesus? Well, I grew up in Northern Ireland in the 1980s. Um, my dad um, is a retired Methodist minister, and I went along to Sunday school and Christian Endeavour and Boys Brigade, and I suppose I was just um, bathed in uh, Christian things from a young age. But I suppose a personal commitment, I made at a very young age. I think I was aged four, um, but it probably didn't make um, complete sense to me until I was in my um, secondary education and I was very involved in Youth for Christ and just getting to know other people my own age um, who, who shared my faith. Um, and yeah, I suppose from there, particularly at university, the, the Christian Union I was in in London and I'm still in touch with those friends all these years later. So having gone through your time at university, it feels to me, I think, I feel like you've been around this place as long as I have. But I also think you're younger than me. <laughs> um, so you must have gone pretty much from your time in higher education into Christian advocacy work. Is is that right? Yeah, I think my poor mum thought, um, is he going to get a real job? So um, I, um, uh, my joke is I didn't go to Oxbridge. I went to Uxbridge. So I, I left um, the fields of County Fermanagh for West London. And uh, I suppose I'd, I'd, I'd just... The peace process was happening in Northern Ireland, so uh, 
Mm. I was a, around 1998. I actually went on Irish TV a few months ago for the anniversary. So I was a bit precocious. I was always reading the newspaper, always thinking, oh, I wonder what, um, you know, why the, why the adults always complain about uh, politicians? Surely they're adults too. You know, what life choices could you make to actually be a politician or be be engaged with politics. So um, I, I'm afraid I was a bit of a nerdy child in that regard. And I studied politics and history at Brunel and um, did a couple of very interesting internships, one at the Inspector of Prisons and one for William Haig as his T-boy in the 2001 general election campaign. And I think I was completely hooked um, and ended up lobbying for the Evangelical Alliance uh, back in the early 2000s and then um, the Salvation Army for half a dozen years. And then I was the director of the Conservative Christian Fellowship, poacher turned gamekeeper or gamekeeper <laughs> turned poacher, depending on your view. And I've just come from World Vision. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting tour de table of different um, Christian causes trying to influence um, Westminster. And it's important we have people who do that. I mean, from from your perspective, you've had a career in a variety of different organisations you know, within the Conservative Party, but also broadly within other organisations sort of from the outside looking in. To those people who listening to this show, maybe Christians at college, looking at things they might do with their life, how they could serve the, the Lord in the public sphere, make the case for the kind of advocacy work that you've spent your life so far doing. Sure. Well, I think one of the most exciting periods was working alongside Andy Flanagan with mm. Christians in, in politics and speaking at um, uh, Christian festivals like New Wine. I think there's a real passion increasingly within the church to, to, to feel like you're engaging your brain and you're engaging your talents. You know, an accountant isn't just used as the church treasurer, for example. Mm. How do you, how do, a bit of praxis maybe to, to misquote my Catholic friends. How do you engage your faith in, in a kind of whole life um, discipleship, thinking about the work of LICC and full-time Christian worker? Mm. Uh, what, what, what are we thinking about here? So I think really whoever's listening, I know a few friends who, for example, they did the care leadership program, maybe interned for an MP, maybe they haven't gone back to politics, but mm. that whatever you're finding, whatever your niche is, whether it's media, the arts, education, politics, business, there's a calling for salt and light in each of these. There are really good Christian fellowships in a lot of these, Laura's Christian Fellowship, Christian Medical Fellowship, mm. uh, Christians in Parliament. Yeah. Be discipled, uh, be be um, a good ally alongside fellow Christians, and and yeah, really pray and seek. Well, where where do I fit in in mm. in in my calling? Don't be afraid of what you're good at and what you're passionate about. And thanks, Gareth. Now, obviously, your your calling has now led you to open doors. So, tell me a little bit about the organisation, um, where it comes from, why it matters, what it what it does. Sure. So I was privileged, I think it was back in 2003, which feels like a long time ago. I heard Brother Andrew speak at, at Spring Harvest. And what do they say? Don't meet your heroes. But um, I heard him from the main stage and he was just so inspirational. Uh, many of us, I think, grew up reading um, the God Smuggler books about his little blue Volkswagen Beetle driving across the Iron Curtain, smuggling Bibles. But um, after the Iron Curtain fell, which, of course, nobody had predicted when he started out in the, in the depths of the Cold War, everybody thought communism was all powerful in worldly terms and yet God was very much saying to him 
the church is much more powerful. I'm much more powerful, and you need to go and share God's love with these people. And he was involved in reconciliation work and and evangelism in the Middle East and in Afghanistan. Basically, wherever anything he was told it was too tricky, you know, going out to Cuba, uh, he went. And his verse, I think, was from Revelation: "Strengthen what remains." So that idea that the persecuted church. Um, they do need support, but also they're an inspiration to us. So I think mm-hmm. certainly in joining, I've been a supporter of Open Doors for many years, but in joining, we get a privileged access to more secret information where people have to disguise their location or their name for their faith. And we get to pray alongside them. And honestly, I seem to learn more from them than they could ever learn from me. So uh, certainly my particular role, uh, um, again, for someone who's a, a total politics nerd, um, I get to help uh, launch the World Watch List in Parliament, which happened a few weeks ago. Um, but yes, as an organisation, we're based in lots of countries around the world, and our main remit is to come alongside the persecuted church and to see us all as one church. We're all brothers and sisters together, and how we can encourage one another so that we're not alone. Uh, it's over 70 years, and we're coming up to our 70th anniversary as Open Doors, and yeah, still going strong. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Gareth Wallace, who's the Director of Advocacy at the Religious Freedom Charity open doors. Uh, Gareth, you just mentioned the World Watch List, which is launched every year and was launched just a few weeks ago. Tell us a bit about what the uh, World Watch List is about and and why it matters. Sure. So, I mean, it's a hugely privileged thing to be involved in. I think it's been going now for about 30 years. Um, There's a research team that are based um, in the Netherlands where Open Doors was founded, and they feed uh, information from the field, verified information about um, what's going on with uh, for Christians in in different countries. And they've been ranking countries, and uh, then you can obviously compare year to year. And that information is then interpreted into reports, and each national office then can write up that information and uh, there's different types of report i think for those of your listeners who are open door supporters they might have got through their um the, the post this week i'm holding it up here and uh, 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 the the world watch list summary document top 10 um there's also a top 50 um but the one that i was launching in parliament is the um, advocacy report, so a very specific one that's targeted at um, politicians, because um, I want to thank MPs who might be listening to this, who've who've come along to the report. We had 100 MPs this year. It is the most extraordinary thing. I'm good friends with Mark Harris and the work of Christians in Parliament. We get hundreds of people at the National Prayer Breakfast. Aside from that, this is, I think, the largest uh, event, the best attended event by MPs Mm -hmm. in Parliament, and that's MPs who've been written to by Open Door supporters, so it's not me with my contact book that makes people come along it's constituents writing in christian constituents writing in and saying look i think you need to be more concerned and you need to advocate with your voice as a member of parliament Uh, some great work going out the foreign office but more could be done could you raise your voice so that the persecuted church know that they're not alone and we can improve the human rights situation freedom of religion and belief for christians so yeah it's um it's, as i said it's just been launched and of course next year um it'll be launched with a new parliament presumably mm. so after a general election so it'll be even busier this time next year get with all those new mps and getting them up to speed on these issues too Important to get get in early, as you as you rightly say, when that happens. Now, look looking at the list, the a couple of things stand out to me. Top of the list is is North Korea. So, just briefly tell us what's it like to be a Christian in North Korea. 
Well, it's incredibly hard, and um, we do know of uh, North uh, Korean Christians who've actually managed to escape. Mm-hmm. We've got a good friend, Tim, who who mm-hmm. has worked around Parliament, who um, has come from North Korea. We, we know that um, a few months ago there was a terrible situation where the Chinese were expelling North Koreans back to um, North Korea to a very uncertain future. And yes, I mean, the, the, the regime is well known for being one of the, the the most oppressive in the world. I think the thing I would say about North Korea, because the trouble with all of this stuff is, it's a very inspiring ministry to be involved in, but it can be quite dark. You know, you're dealing mm. with very difficult situations and horrible, horrible stories. And if anyone Googles, um, you know, the World Watch just video, you'll see the top ten video, and it has little clips, including from North Korea. There's some very harrowing stuff there about, um, you know, children being asked to basically um, inform on their parents. Uh, you have to be careful as you're bringing up your children that they understand about freedom of religion because if they know you're a christian and they're taught in school that you're that christianity's wrong then um you know children on you know perhaps without fully realizing what they're doing might be asked to um inform and their parents will go to prison so you got hor- horrible situations but mm. but 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 um, I know um, North Korean Christians are praying for us in the UK. I mean, that just blows my mind. My little temporary worries <laughs> mm. about life compared to what they're going through. And um, yeah, I just find that inspirational that the church will grow no matter how hard the, the human oppression um, you know, yeah. God, God reaches through in every situation. So it won't be a surprise to people, I guess, that life for Christians in North Korea is incredibly difficult. But there are some countries on that list which may surprise us. We're thinking about some of the Latin American countries like Nicaragua, Mexico, uh, Colombia, which are countries that are ostensibly massively majority Christian countries. So how can Christians in in Christian countries be persecuted? Yes, Tim, it is, it is pretty shocking. I mean, I think the obvious answer, we, we, perhaps when you think about it, is unsurprising. In both Colombia and Mexico, you have these horrible drug cartels which are massively oppressive and, and seek to strangle communities. And Christians are just massively brave. Uh, they have been throughout history in standing up for oppression and, and not being afraid of, of those who are bullies. Um, so there's a huge issue with drug gangs wanting control over communities, and they see the church as a threat. Uh, you know, a political threat, a social threat, a moral threat. So that, I think that's perhaps uh, the main root of it. Um, also, you have, for example, indigenous communities who might practice traditional beliefs. Um, and you see, for example, Protestant uh, missionary organizations or, or conversions to more Pentecostal forms of Christianity. Um, that doesn't go down well uh, with uh, those of more traditional beliefs. So you can see social ostracism within within mm. communities. In this case, it's it's the government rather than um, internal groups that are causing mm. uh, the oppression. And um, it's the Roman Catholic Church in that case that are basically standing up to and being brave uh, in the face of, of, of uh, repression. And Bishop Alvarez, who was put in uh, prison along with a number of other priests, he's um, thankfully been released very recently. Mm. I believe he's currently uh, in the Vatican. But of course, presumably he'll have to live in exile for a while or he'd be in danger if he went back. Mm. Yes. I suppose this is where the World Watch list can pick out places that perhaps are not so familiar to us and are not so obvious on the news. In terms of what we can actually do to affect these things... Um, I guess one question I've got is that we we look at that list and 
on that list also are countries that are quite close allies of the United Kingdom, India, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, for instance. How do we encourage or how would we um, suggest to the Foreign Office and the rest of government how they should shape our relationship with countries that are our friends and yet at the same time persecute or allow the persecution of Christians within their boundaries? It's a really tricky one. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, one interesting area that we've put in one of the recommendations is about UK trade deals. So, of course, you know, trade deals are always in, in the news post-Brexit and we want economies to flourish. And many of us believe that a flourishing economy is also linked to freedom. But there's also the temptation that you look over human rights or you mm -hmm. don't look at um, supply chains when you're thinking about economic questions. Mm -hmm. And there is a bit of leverage there where governments, the Foreign Office can be more clear about what it's doing whenever it's negotiating for uh, for trade deals. Um, I suppose it's awareness as well. So realising that um, there's some... Uh, detail in the report about Saudi Arabia and in some ways Saudi has opened up slightly mm. but in other ways it's still extremely clear about um, how restrictive it is towards uh, churches towards Christianity so geopolitically it might be aligned to the UK but in terms of democracy and freedom of religion it's definitely not um, aligned with um, what Christians would would want to see. Um, India's an interesting case because, of course, there's an election coming up there, and um, President Modi, we feel, has not been going in a positive direction for some time now. People might have seen in the news about the Hindu temple that's been built on top of a mosque. Um, you've got the situation in Manipur with Christians being attacked even this weekend. Um, so yeah, India was founded on a on a secular constitution with freedom of religion and belief there's obviously a very complicated history with india and india is a sovereign state but there are many wonderful indian christians and they really are crying out for help and for support in the international arena um, because india is a very important and very powerful country mm. but um, it needs to respect the rights uh, to which it has ascribed well, as we draw our time to a close, I guess one thing that just strikes me in so many of these places, China and India uh, in particular, the growth of the church is quite remarkable. And the growth of the church under circumstances that we would perhaps find intolerable is all the more remarkable. And we should be thanking God for it. And in terms of our uh, call as Christians um, in the West, we are called, well, wherever we live, is that we will, to recognise we will be distinguished as believers by the love we have for one another, including and especially those we can't see and those who um, suffer in uh, under all kinds of trials. So, Gareth, I just want to say thank you to you and to everybody involved at Open Doors for opening our eyes to the realities of life for Christians around the world so that we can pray for them and join you in advocating for them. Gareth, it's been an absolute blessing to have you with us. Thank you so much, Tim, and thank you, everyone. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you 
and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Tom's been in touch and he says this. Last week, in your answer to George, you said that three quarters of processed asylum applications were from genuine refugees. I'm happy to take your word for it. But where do you and other politicians get your stats from on this or on other issues. Where would I go to find up-to-date stats on this sort of thing for sermon, blog, podcast use? Tom, it's a great question. On the specifics of that question, I look at the Home Office's figures on um, the, the people that they have processed, those that, those that they've given refugee status to, and then those that they haven't. And roughly speaking, the figure's around three quarters, although it tends to um, go down as low as 65% sometimes and can go above three quarters. It all depends on who it is that they're assessing. Um, but where would you go to find up-to-date stats and what do we do? I mean, very often, if you're looking at um, an issue, you've got a million different sources and it's difficult to know which to trust. I will use particular devices. I'll put down written parliamentary questions. So I might ask for the waiting times for cancer treatment in the hospitals in my community, uh, for example. And the figures I get from the government will be those given by the local NHS. And I've got to trust them to be accurate. So there are sometimes, um, not often, sometimes when I'll get an official answer like that, and then somebody within the organisation, uh, let's say a doctor, a nurse or a paramedic or a manager of some kind, might then be a whistleblower and might tell me, do you know what, the figures you've been given, they're not strictly true, or you didn't quite ask the right question, and they use that to give you something that isn't quite the whole picture. And so it is difficult in these uh, this age of fake news and competing narratives and unresearched um, truths that are put out there um, for us to know what actually is the truth. So often I'll, I'll hear from advocacy groups like Open Doors, but like Friends of the Earth, the National Farmers Union, uh, all sorts of different groups, and you will listen to what they say, and you've got to then try to scrutinise the extent to which that is true. The temptation for every politician is to reach for the stats that prove the point that you already agreed with in the first place. And the key for us Christians is to seek truth, even when it's really difficult for us. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's close our time together in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Open Doors. And we thank you for its research on the uh, life of uh, Christians in countries around the world where persecution is a reality. Uh, serious persecution, loss of life and liberty being something that Christians would uh, come across in their daily lives almost. So we lift up to you, our brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Yemen, in Eritrea, uh, all over um, the world, uh, wherever Christians face persecution. We pray that you'd strengthen their faith, their love for you, um, that you would protect them and provide for them uh, against those who would seek to do them harm. Um, but we also pray that they would be shining witnesses in their communities and across the world uh, recognizing lord was your hand works in these places that in places like china despite persecution the church grows and it grows and it grows because the gates of hell will not overcome uh, your church and we praise you for that we pray you would build your church and you give confidence to christians across the world to be faithful to you and help us in this in this country um, to uh, make use of the relative freedoms we've got here to share the gospel truthfully, um, uh, graciously 
and faithfully. And Lord, we just lift up our word, world to you, which seems at the moment in such an unstable and frightening situation, um, invasions and wars and persecutions. And we just lift up our world to you and we pray for peace. We thank you that as frightening as the world appears to us to be today, it is contained by a range of regimes that are temporary. And Lord, your kingdom is permanent and eternal. Help us to trust uh, our treasure in heaven um, and uh, to keep our eyes fixed upon you and be faithful to you in the midst of our circumstances. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes, which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash a mucky business thank you so much for joining us